I, I think that the finals video is still floating somewhere on the internet and it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have brought that up to, you know, remind people of its existence. But yeah. Don't, don't worry, it's on Facebook. All these, you know, TikTok <laughs> users who are in J1 and J2 now, they know, now they have Facebook accounts. You know, that's a boomer platform. Ah, yes, of course. Okay, um, I feel so safe now. Hello, listener. Um, it's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, I've been really busy with school um, and with coaching, but I didn't think that it would have been 12 months since I released the episode. Uh, and I didn't think that I'll take this long to wrap up Season 2, um, but here we are. Um, the good news is that Season 3 is really close. Um, we've already recorded the first few episodes for it. It's going to be a serial. It's going to use a different format as well. And so, to sort of bring closure to this old format um, of Season 2, um, I thought I'd finally get this episode done uh, and released. Uh, I interviewed Suniti, and I owe her a massive apology. She's my ex-student for taking so long to clear this episode. Um, but it's done now, and hopefully you'll enjoy the finale to Season 2. I thought it was a good conversation, and I hope you enjoy it too. So this is quite exciting because my final guest for season two is also my first guest that was previously one of the people that I coached. Uh, so welcome, Suniti, to the to the podcast. Uh, perhaps you can tell us a bit more about your debut license. Hello, thank you, Dion, for having me. Um, I can't say I think I'm perfectly qualified to be here, but Dion thinks so, so here I am. Okay, so yeah, I was... I was in NJ, so Dion was my coach, and I was president of NJ Debate at that time. Uh, since then, I actually haven't competitively debated in a year, but I coached Yuha Primary School at the beginning of this year for about two and a half months. Uh, I was on the edge call of HYDC 2021, also because of Dion, who invited me very kindly to be on the edge call of HYDC. As you can see, it's a lot of nepotism uh, going on at HYDC. <laughs> 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 yeah, truly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's broadly it. I mean, other than that, it's just the usual competitions. So yeah. I, I think you're, you're selling yourself short a little bit, right? Because I think you've had a quite a storied career um, in debate. You're one of actually a very rare batch of NJ debaters. Uh, and that is the, the NJ debater that debates for six years. Um, no shade oh, to NJ, no shade to NJ. But, but it, it is true that, that most debaters in NJ do not start out when they are sec one. Um your batch was very unique in that sense. Uh, Ray, a previous guest, was instrumental in, you know, getting uh, a SEC 1 cohort uh, on board and you were, of course, with a few others um, in your batch uh, as, mm. as that one batch that managed to go through all the way. What was six years in NJ like debating under what, I guess it must have been three or four coaches um, going through several, I suppose, nationals and ultimately ending off with COVID, right? I mean, to start off, I think it was closer to about seven coaches. Okay, so... <laughs> so, the turnover rate was like <laughs> one, one every six months. <laughs> yeah, for, for a period of time, the turnover rate was insane. When I first joined NJ, there wasn't even a coach. And then a month later, a coach joined. And then the coach disappeared after three months. And then in the subsequent year, there were two coaches in that one year. And and then it was it was a whole mess. Uh. Basically, there were a lot of ups and downs during the six years. Uh, there were periods when we didn't have coaches and periods where uh, we had amazing coaches, which was towards the end. Right. Uh, also, 
recruitment has always been a problem. So there were periods when the club had like less than 15 people in total. And then other periods where suddenly there were 20 people in one batch, you know. So I, I would say that, I, I guess in that sense, I've had a quote-unquote storied career in debating. Mostly because NJ has given me lots of very unique and fascinating experiences that I won't forget. But um, overall, in terms of NJ debate as a whole and how the club has grown over the six years, I think it's changed a lot. There's, become, there's more of a focus on actually helping newer and less experienced debaters learn and gain something transferable from debate now than there was when I first joined. I, I guess, yeah, NJ's been fun, right? And I think it's one of the main reasons why I stuck in debate for so long. I, I don't think I would have done the entire six years if it weren't for the people in NG debate uh, who helped so me. So for those of you who do not know what NG debate is like, basically, um, uh, as a norm, uh, there, are, there are no NG debaters before Sec 3, uh, in that you're not really supposed to be able to take up a debate as a CCA uh, until you're at least Sec 3. And even then, you have to jump through hoops to transfer out of the CC that you were initially allocated to to get into NJ debate, which is why the secondary school side of NJ debates has always been a little bit more... What's the word? Um, barren. <laughs> um, um, but so I actually am quite curious, right? Being one of the, the only batches that joined from Sec 1 and going through the, the struggles that you did, how did you manage to gain the sort of foundation or skills that you needed um, in that first few years where there wasn't really a focus on, on training new debaters? I mean, when I started, the main problem that my batches and I had was that we were so young compared to everyone else. Because we were at least two years younger than the next uh, youngest debater in NJ debate. And I guess one of the concerns we always had was that we were so far behind in terms of debate skills that um, especially during a time when we didn't even have a coach, it was very difficult for the seniors to find ways to coach us and help us get over that initial learning curve, right? Which is inevitable when it comes to debate. But I will say that the, the way that I gained those basic skills was because of the seniors who tried very, very hard to include us and to reassure us that, you know, giving three-minute speeches when you first join debate is not entirely unheard of and that you will improve over the years. In fact, I'd say that uh, it, it was quite interesting when we actually performed as well as we did at Hua Chong Invitationals in 2016. That's always been a highlight for my batch because we were in Sec 2 at the time and then we ended up winning the tournament against like all odds. And the main reason for that was because of the seniors at the time who were constantly giving us feedback and who were always turning up for our tournaments, even when we had like zero chance of actually winning anything, right? right. Because they knew that, that they tried to treat it as like a long-term investment, you know? Like, if you help debaters when they're extremely young, they're more likely to stay on and help the club grow. And, and therefore, I think that um, I, I largely credit my seniors at the time with, you know, helping me and Ilyora and Victoria gain the skills that we eventually did. Right. Uh, because... Uh, the coach situation was also a little sketchy at the time, and uh, the seniors filled a lot of those gaps. But yeah, um, the initial learning curve was, I would say, pretty stressful, but the the seniors were instrumental in helping us get over that learning curve. And I think this is a this can be an inspiration to any of the NG debaters that are currently listening in, right? Because I think that um, for the first time in many years, we have a parallel to perhaps your batch, where we do have you know, a few sec ones, not as much as your batch did, uh, obviously, but we do have a few sec ones who, who are interested in debating. And there is a big gap between them and, and uh, the next, you know, the next level of experienced debater. So if once you take away the, the sole sec three that we have um, and the sole sec two that we have, 
Um, there is there is that that gap, but clearly it's surmountable as long as you know there is senior support and there's a structure in place. Uh, from the exco, uh, to to include the sec ones in the program, and obviously coaches have a responsibility in ensuring that that, that happens as well. Um, I want to talk a bit about Hua Chong uh, Invitationals before we move on to to anything else. Because I think you are absolutely right in that. Uh, that was quite an accomplishment for for a sec two team. Hua Chong Invitationals, for those of you who do not know, because it's not been run for quite a few years now, um, was a extremely competitive tournament. Um. Even back, even back in the day, um, I took part in it when I in like twenty twelve, and you know we we lost the finals to like SCGS or something like that. And it was every single year it is a competitive tournament, um, well respected, good judges, etc. etc. So it, it it clearly wasn't a fluke that that you guys managed to to win um against I think LGS in the finals. What was the highlight of of that experience uh, for you? I think the. The most memorable part of that experience was just that that was the first time we had ever broken at a tournament, much less won a tournament. So it was a huge shock to us because we'd gone from a team that had never ever broken to a team that had won with three sec twos on the team and one sec three who had just joined that year. Um, in terms of specific memorable moments, I, I do think that the moment that we found out that we won on a split decision was quite incredible because honestly, we, we didn't win a single tournament after that until last year. <laughs> so, you know, when we think back to our debate careers, we remember that one moment that we got to hold that big, big trophy in front of the lecture theatre and stuff. But I, I remember that one of my teammates, Iliora, I mean, some of the viewers would know her, right? She, she burst into tears when we found out that we won because it was such a shock. So I guess the whole experience of like learning and growing with my batches and with uh, Javesh, who was a new debater at the time as well, was as a whole pretty memorable. I, I can't remember specific moments because it was all blur. It was like five years ago. But it's still right. one of the most exciting moments of my debate career. So then you move on to the Nationals. Uh, you did the Nationals when you were in Sec 3 first and foremost. Uh, and then after that when you were in Sec 4. I actually remember you know, joining NJ Debate in 2018 uh and and at that point of time i was replacing uh two uh coaches who were quite experienced right in, in their own in their own right but obviously uh had their own scheduling conflicts and, and all of that uh and which necessitated a takeover when when i took over nj i had no idea what the hell i was doing i had a completely different impression of what nj debate was going to be when I, when I first stepped in because you know like from the outside correct when people think wow NJC you know like the seven pointer school or the school with the PSRE cut off of two five something you know like confirm plus choke this school correct got the infrastructure to succeed got the talented kids I expected to walk in with a bunch of sec ones eager eyed sec ones looking at me going okay come let's learn and what I, what I found out was that <laughs> None of that, none of that was, was the case. Yeah. Um, and it was a huge cultural shock because I, I had gone in anticipating that, you know, I would be able to just hit the ground running and start basically bringing NJ back to, to, to where I think it had the potential to be. And it, it took a long time to, to then stop and say, okay, yeah, the ambition of winning JGs, of winning MIDCs in the first year, that has to be put on hold for a bit because there's a lot of club building to do. And and I think it started out with that first round of SSSDC 2018. The motion was about fake news or some shit like that. Um, and, and we were up against Cat High, right? And like famously, I think now, 
um, like <laughs> after LDL twenty twenty, I I was not in a mood to lose to Cat High, so we were trading pretty hard um at that point of time, uh and and Ray and I were like, okay, this is what we're gonna do, this is our strategy, you know, this is what we're gonna say, we're gonna get through it, you know, and I was super confident that you know we were gonna go in there and and, and just beat them because Osel had told me that Cat High was setting a new team, um. That was not what happened. Do you want to explain? Or, from, well, from your perspective. Well, well, from my perspective, upon um, gaining some maturity and clarity of perspective over the last two years, I realised that uh, the, the coaches had put in so much effort to prepare, help us prepare a case, help get us up to speed, um, help us be prepared for anything that they could throw our way. And uh, we claimed that we knew what we were doing. We claimed that we understood what they were trying to convey to us. But none of that actually showed in the round. So we ended up uh, running a very, very weird case, despite the case being prepared for us by Dion and Ray. And um, we ended up losing quite badly. It was a pretty embarrassing round, and Ray and Dion were so disappointed. And I think at that point, uh, I'm very sure that both of them started to question whether they should have come back. To, into coaching and stuff like that. I remember turning to Ray during the round itself and going, did you have like an extra training with them before, <laughs> before before the round? Because like, this is not what we discussed, right? And he's like, I have no idea what's going on. And, and now, a running joke in NJ debate is, is the word bots because that was a very big part of the case that we didn't actually mention at any point. And everyone has trauma whenever anyone mentions bots. So it's like every debate camp there will be some mention of the word bots because it's it's just fun to bring up that kind of a trauma for everybody. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, but yes. Um, but, but I think what the experience had made me realise was, you know, uh, a large part of coaching is also picking the, the, the team back up, right? And I think that at that point of time, what I didn't realise was that you have been under a, a structure of, of, de- of debaters who, uh, debate coaches who, were not always present. Uh, often it meant that you all were all just doing your own thing. And uh, it wasn't an environment where you felt like you could ask um, questions all the time, you know, question the case, figure out exactly what was going on. Um, and it was n- not necessarily even an environment where that was that was the norm, like like training super hard for the Nationals, training three, four times a week, you know, to get to that round. Uh, and that was something that, you know, uh, I, I realised needed to change before we could do anything, uh, anything good. So, um, one thing that I credit you especially and, and the whole team for was the, the turnover between round one and round two, right? Because I think the the attitude change and the the way that we, we prepped round two was just so different from round one. And I think it, it sort of precipitated what eventually ended up happening. Um, and perhaps you can go through a little bit of that, that entire experience with, with, with us. Yeah, I remember that the gulf between round one and round two was massive. So round one was this small, but round two was probably one of the smoothest debates that we've actually ever had. I mean, obviously, that was largely in, largely due to our coaches' effort and, you know, ensuring that we were up to speed. But I think what changed in terms of the culture, right, was that um, in round one, we kind of didn't know what we didn't know. And therefore, we also sometimes didn't know what to ask. Uh, but in round two, we started to, you know, throw more open-ended questions at the coaches, as far as I remember. So um, by throwing them more open-ended questions and feeling comfortable with doing so, we gave them the space to actually bring to our attention what we didn't actually understand or didn't actually know. So um, I remember that the case in round two was also very, very unique and very special. It's super interesting. It was basically the, the debate about um, whether you should do a test before voting in national elections, right? And our entire case was premised on this idea that uh, 
it's not the result of the test that matters. It is that you're forcing people into a process of learning for the test and studying for the test, which automatically has a benefit regardless of how easy or difficult the test is. And that was, I, I think, very memorable for me. And I think one part of the, the debate that really stuck with all of us was that was that particular mechanism, and which, you know, kind of helped us, uh, kind of motivated us to ask more questions as well. Uh, when we started to ask more open-ended questions and we started to understand the mechanisms of cases that were being suggested, we started to gain more confidence in our ability to actually execute those cases as well. And that is probably what changed most significantly for round right. two, which helped us get the win that we so badly needed in round two. And I think that's something that Suki doesn't realise, uh, or like has trouble realising these days, right, is that prepared rounds are a collaborative process. Um, like, as much as it seems... Uh, because of the format that it is just the coach telling you this is what to say and this is how this is the strategy. Uh, all coaches do this. Not all coaches win. And I think the, the the key difference is, you know, that process of okay, maybe this might not work. And having the kids kids question you and improve the case. Uh, having the kids tell you I don't quite understand this and therefore realizing that if the kids doesn't don't, doesn't understand this particular phrasing or this particular way of selling the case, the J1 judge that is the judge at SSSTC isn't going to understand it either uh, and it's going to not credit you and then you're going to be complaining afterwards that they didn't listen to you. Um, and often, like, that that, that, tuck, that push and pull of collaborating with, with, with the students is, is what makes the team successful uh, in a tournament as unique as SSSTC. I remember that when round three came about and then we ran another screwball case... <laughs> Um, like y'all was y'all was so um so excited to be able to run run that case. Um, I still have my doubts as to whether like <laughs> the case was correct, but like it worked. So um, none, nonetheless, um, what what ended up happening uh was if I if I recall correctly, we ended up breaking. Uh, what was that moment like breaking in Division One? I I just remember being in a hall and it was all blur. And when they when Angie showed up at like six out of eight eight breaking teams or something, everyone just huddled into a circle and started screaming. I, I mean, it was very exciting. I don't know how to experience it. I, I don't know how to explain it because it was so surreal. Uh, but I don't think we were necessarily expecting to break as well after the dismal performance in round one. Like, granted, right. we did buck up in round two and three, but and you know the NJ curse, right? We tend to. Uh, if we break... We'll we, go on to that. Don't worry. Uh, yes, we'll go on we to will that. we definitely discuss that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we had experienced um, it the year, the year before as well. We had two wins in 2017 and then we didn't break. Uh, it's it's a trend in NJ as we will discuss later. So we kind of just went into it uh, with our heads high thinking, okay, we improved. That's good enough. Uh, I'm sure the coaches are proud of our performance in round two and three at least. And that's enough for us. So breaking was like, it was a bonus, but it wasn't the final objective for us. Which is, which is a great way to think about things, right? Uh, a, a lot of times, breaking uh, in tournaments is a little bit of luck, especially if you've uh, accumulated the requisite number of wins already. And, and to then uh, like lose on speaker points is always, is always difficult, but it's also rarely your fault um, in the sense that, that you know different judges have different, wildly different metrics for what a 70 speech is, as we found out during HYDC. Um, so so I, I think that that the entire experience of of breaking that first time uh was was unexpected for myself and, and for Ray as well. Uh, because we had if you recall right, we had gone into it like basically telling you all, you know, Ramon was so dismal correct, right? we we're, were fighting an uphill battle, you know, don't think so much, just like you know, try to get as much points as possible. Um 
but yeah, so 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 SSDC went went well, and then obviously we proceeded to to the next year where you were now a fully fledged uh, president of NJ Debate. Um, how, what was it like being the president uh, of a CCA that had so many restrictions placed on it? Like, how do you work around some of the some of the you know constraints that the NJ Debate I mean, to preface this discussion, I'd just like to say that one of the main discussions at every EXCO meeting was recruitment, because the JH side was dying, and by the time me and my batchies from that, that special batch with people who joined in SEC 1 had moved on to like JH4 and like JC1 after that, uh, the JG's team was like two members strong, and we didn't know whether we could even send a team to JG's. So recruitment I remember was, that. Yeah, you remember yeah, that, right? Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So recruitment was always a massive problem for us. And I, I don't know how we ever actually overcame that constraint because eventually what we did was we, we tried to have some kind of outreach to SEC2 kids to encourage them to take debate on as a second CCA. But if I'm being completely honest, I don't think we ever found a perfect solution to it because they actually tightened those restrictions um, in the years after my batch. Um, for the simple reason that a lot of people were joining second CCAs like debate and drama and whatnot, and then flaking on their first CCAs because they were forced into a first CCA that they didn't really want to take. And they needed to ensure that the main few CCAs actually had sufficient like, people, right? So that was the key problem. And um, in terms of recruiting the junior high side, I'm not sure how we managed to do it, but we managed to pull together a random team for uh, RVU16s that year. Um, I, I think it was fun, and, and that's where we actually got another two members that are now still with NJ Debate, currently in JH4. Uh, so I, I would say that there wasn't really like a clear strategy. It was more so just approaching individual junior high kids that we knew of who were interested in debates right. and asking them if they wanted to, you know, come down for a chill session with no obligations, uh, just right. showing them the ropes, having fun setting fun motions on those days so that, you know, debate wasn't just about, like, econs and international relations. Basically trying to make debate look I, more... I feel called out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, I still hate econs and international relations. So imagine like a, a random sec two kid just strolling into debate and then having to do a motion on like, I don't know, finance or something. So yeah, it was right. mostly just individually approaching people, making a personal right. appeals and trying to make debate seem more accessible to the very, very young children in NJC who would have had no exposure otherwise. So that was one of the main challenges I faced going into my like first presidential term in sec four. So so one thing that I was I found quite admirable for for you uh, and your batch um as a, as an ex school was not just the 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 fact that you're working within so much with so much constraints but also the fact that you know during your batch I felt like there was a lot more emphasis on SH one development uh that would be the seventeen years the J, the JC one kids uh for those of you who are not familiar with NJ system um I think before before you took over like. SH development was, was quite limited in the sense that we kind of knew that we had a team that we were sending and then everyone else was just like there for the ride. Um, but if I recall correctly, when, when you guys took over, you know, there was a lot more emphasis on here are all the newcomers that we have. Let's make sure that they get some opportunities. I remember Nuspa 2020, no, 2019 very well, where we had all the all the seniors, your direct seniors, I think, was it? Yeah. Um, who all went for the tournament and had a good time. And I don't think that that was something that we did before that. And it was really sort of spearheaded by, by your batch to make sure that we included all the all the 
um, newcomers, the JAE newcomers in the program. And you know, that's a, that's a, something that a lot of uh, IP schools struggle with, right? Um, even if you exclude NJ uh, because of NJ's unique circumstances, a lot of IP schools that have a, a, a cohort coming who are full of new debaters tend to struggle with like, okay, do we focus more on the experienced debaters um, because they can, they have the experience, they can do well, or do we focus on the new ones who obviously are coming in to learn and, and to learn new skills? Um, how did your batch sort of strike that balance um, and, and what was the process like? I think one thing we realised was that a win-win situation for all would be to tap on the experience of the experienced debaters to help the new debaters. Because one of the, the main things about debating is being able to see debates and like meta debate and whatnot. Things that like I, I still can't do, but I think I'm relatively better at now than I was before. But if, if you ask all of my batches and all of the experienced debaters in NJ, right, I think we benefit a lot from being given opportunities to uh, adjudicate spas during training sessions. That was something that we right. piloted in 2018, I think. Um, of, of course, with the support of Dion and Ray. And that proved to be really useful because we had experienced debaters who were now being challenged to try and think of debate from a different lens, i.e. the adjudicating lens. And um, simultaneously giving like new debaters the opportunity to spar more frequently during training as well. So I thought that that was the, the, that was the way we struck that balance, right? By understanding that benefiting both groups is not mutually exclusive and there are ways to integrate training for both groups in ways that are mutually beneficial for all. So that, that was the main thing that changed at that point of time. Okay, so let's move on to, to, to JC, right? And and here's where I think we bring in the infamous NJ curse. <laughs> um, so for those of you who do not know, the, the, the NJ curse, or at least the NJ curse as I understand it from my time, is the fact that for the last... I guess now it has to be four years and three MIDC tournaments. Uh, NG has never broken in a single MIDC's main break since 2017, since before I joined, right? Uh, with the with the Inkyet, uh batch. Um, despite that, in every year that we took part in MIDC's, uh, our teams always had four wins. So in 2018, we had four wins and we were ninth. In 2019, we had four wins and we were... Nine. Yep. And this year we had two teams on four wins and they were tenth and eleventh. So um it's not been a brilliant uh uh ride for us at, at MIDC. I, and I and I expect that obviously, you know, that's just the that's just the game, right? That's just the, the game that's played sometimes with, with speaker points and everything. Uh but we call it the NJ curse because obviously it has disproportionately affected NJ in a way that perhaps <laughs> uh other schools might not be able to claim uh it has for them. Uh so not breaking in twenty nineteen, uh, in twenty nineteen, the, the the first year that you guys took part in MIDCs, or the only year that you all took part in MIDCs for reasons that we will obviously explore later. Um, disappointing. Uh, okay, what was it like? Oh, extremely disappointing. I remember being like in absolute shock because I remember that the quality of our rounds was very very erratic. So there were some rounds that were really really brilliant. On in my opinion, there were some rounds that I thought were really dismal. But I thought that, you know, maybe the rounds that we did really well in could, you know, help to outweigh the rounds that we underperformed in. Also, um, I'm trying to move on from, like, 2019 MIDCs, but I do feel like our team was robbed in round one uh, in <laughs> 2019. And, uh, you know, as debaters, we always, like, doubt whether we were actually robbed or whether we just feel salty because we had confidence in our case. But to see our very nice, sweet, kind coach Ray 
be upset at the decision. Not me, not me. I'm yeah, always, yeah. I'm Dion always is upset. always fiery and always very upset. <laughs> but to see Ray, Ray be so upset at the decision that was like eventually reached in round one, like showed us that maybe for the first time in our lives, right, we could be confident in saying that we probably should have won the round but didn't. You, you get what I'm trying to say. But like, okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I took it pretty hard. I remember that my, my teammates and I went to the back of the ACJC lecture theatre. Like, you know, there's this like corridor, like sketchy corridor yeah. at the back. And then yeah. we, like, we, we sat there and like cried after round one. So it was a really, really bad start to the tournament because uh, we, right. we thought we would hit the ground running. We were so confident in the case we had, yet prepped for so long. And then we lost because even though we didn't deserve to. That hit our right. confidence. And eventually, I do think that may have cost us our break as well. Uh, so it was overall very, very disappointing at MIS. Right. But at the same time, um, there are still moments during the tournament that we can look back on and, you know, be proud of ourselves for. Like the fact that uh, in round six, I-, I think all of us remember that round six was quite solid. I remember that Lima gave a- an amazing speech in round six and everyone's jaws were just on the ground. So like, yeah. I-, I think of all those things and it's still very memorable even though we didn't actually break. We ended up going into like the plate plate finals, which is a whole other issue <laughs> that we'll probably end up oh, yeah. discussing in a bit. <laughs> probably we won't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but yes, I mean, the, the happy story at the end of that was that you all eventually ended up winning uh, what we dubbed the, bira- the birani plate. It like <laughs> the birani plate, yeah. <laughs> something that we'll serve birani, birani on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was bittersweet. Uh, yeah. but, but I think you, you hit a very interesting point here, right? Which is that, you know, some tournaments are really a long haul where you have six rounds and you, you kind of need four wins. You know, that is mentally going to be very training. And if after round one, you, you take a bad loss, or after round two, you take a bad loss, you know, that, that, that could cascade down to future rounds as well. And we've seen this before in, in with uh, other teams at MIDCs. Um, top schools who, who lose a round and then suddenly they lose another round unexpectedly because they're just not in the right frame of mind. And the mental game is very important as well. And I think that, you know... Um, Myself included, you know, we're not very good at, at, at teaching students, you know, of that age how to how to be mentally resilient, you know, how to play their mental game. And that's something that I think a lot of coaches ought to maybe think about or work on um, um, in the future as well. Because it is, it is challenging, right? And I think that it is difficult. Like, even just this year where we had two teams on four wins and neither broke, you know, like, that that was that was very difficult for, for, for the kids. Especially given the chaos that happened this year with, you know, members pulling out the day before and having to rearrange teams. Um, so, like, that, that, is, that also takes a mental toll. And I think that that, that isn't talked about enough um, in, in, in debating. Um, so, yeah, 2019, you know, we got a consolation prize, um, that, that, that plate, silver plate. But we were looking forward to 2020 because um, as, as I was... Always telling this batch of debaters, uh, that was the year we, we could win. Uh, in the last round of 2019, the round that Suniti talked about, um, we were up against Raffles, the Raffles team, um, for the J1 Raffles team uh, in round six. And I think, yeah, we won, right? Um, convincingly, in my opinion. Uh, and so I was like, okay, okay, then my next year's our year, next year's our year. Because um, it felt like we, we could, we could, uh, pull that off. And I think that you had that, that impression as well that, that 2020 was really going to be the year that we we, we showed our head at, at MIDCs. Yep, yep. So when yep. COVID came about uh, and the, the slow burn of COVID made you eventually realise that MIDCs was not going to happen. You know, like in February it was like, eh, would it? Would it not? 
in March it was like, could we get it sorted by June? And then by April it was like, oh yeah, no, this isn't happening. Um, what was that entire process like for you uh, going through that while in your A-level year, knowing that there was a best shot of winning MIs? I mean, it was very emotionally draining, to be honest. I think a lot of debaters will agree with me when you say that like, uh, we get very emotionally invested in debates, especially after having been in debates for five, six years. So thinking of MIs as that last hurrah, right, in our last year of debating before we graduated, I, I was really looking forward to, uh, I mean, if not win, at least go for the competition and like attend with my friends and teammates for the last time as an NJ contingent. So it was pretty disappointing when you realised by about April that we couldn't actually attend MIs and that um, this was our best shot of winning a competition, but we that we wouldn't get the opportunity to even like try it, right? Uh, I I don't know how I got over that. I think it was probably in part due to the fact that uh, Ilyora and I right. went for this replacement tournament after that right. at Dion's uh, persuasion. Uh, but yeah, it was just a disappointing cancellation of MIS overall. Yeah, right. I think that we preface this by saying that you know in the lead up to that tournament, we've been winning some stuff. So mm. or at least we've been doing well in some stuff. Like we were in the finals of the. SMBPs. SMBPs. Uh, we did WRNUS together. Yeah, um, we did Simdo as well. Uh, amusingly managed to get the third runners up <laughs> medals. Literally said, hey, you're fourth in the finals. <laughs> here, here are your medals. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did Simdo as well. And we were look- and I think that, that there was a general feeling that, you know, it was it was NJ and it was Hua Chong for, for, for 2020. Uh, that there were the contenders. And, and to then lose that, you know, even for me as a coach, you know, and for Ray, um, even though Ray had, you know, was on the, on, his, on his way out already, it was it was like, man, you know, we we spent so many years sort of building up a team. There there was this period of like, what was all that for if you would never get to show it? But of course, like you know, those are not very good thoughts. And I think the 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 answer to that is if if everybody manages to learn the skills that they need to learn, you know, analytically. Uh, persuasively that helps them later on in life. It doesn't really matter whether you, you did well in a tournament or not because those skills have been transferred regardless. Nonetheless, though, you know, uh, you, like you said, you and Ilora went for a replacement tournament. How did that go? <laughs> to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty surprised that we ended up winning that tournament because uh, I... Oh you, oh, you won? You won? Yes. <laughs> yes, we did. Surprise. <laughs> Uh, so instead of an MIS win, we got a Wolves inter-school debate tournament win. <laughs> to be very honest, I was surprised that we won because the finals weren't, weren't exactly fantastic. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> we, were, we were surprised that we won. Actually, when we were going into it, we were very jaded from the whole MIS cancellation thing. And uh, we almost didn't really want to turn up. Like two days before it, we were like we were so jaded from it that we were discussing whether we should pull out and focus on our studies because prelims were coming and it felt like you know there was no real point and that in the grand scheme of things this tournament wouldn't matter. We didn't think we were gonna do very well either way and therefore we didn't have any motivation going into it. But I remember that like after the first round we kind of got that spark back because we were reminded of what it feels like to be debating competitively after I think not having debated for the entire year because all the competitions at the beginning of the year were cancelled as well. Uh, So uh, once we got into the thick of it, uh, it was easier to motivate ourselves throughout that replacement tournament. We ended up winning in some miracle. 
uh, we don't know how it happened, but we were very happy with the cash prize as well. Uh, that was a oh, little was a bonus. Yeah, yeah, it was like hundred USD uh, or something. Oh my goodness! So a lot to to people who didn't have jobs at the time, <laughs> studying for A's. But I mean, yeah, it was a pleasant surprise for us, and I think it was a it was a nice last hurrah. Like that was the last tournament that we've attended. So I haven't actually competitively debated since then, and uh, I think it was a nice end to competitively debating. I guess. It's always nice to end on a win, I suppose. Yeah, it is, right? it is. Yeah. I was I was shocked that you all won. <laughs> yeah, uh, not that I didn't same, uh, not that I had no faith in you all, but I was like, you know, like we didn't even train like yeah, we, yeah. we didn't even train you all at all at, at that point of time because mm-hmm. CCA was completely cancelled. Yeah, yeah. For it that was... for that three month period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um so reflecting back overall, and this was a very long discussion about one particular CCA, but I think given that, you know, a lot of NJ debaters listen to this. I think it's fair. Um, when you look back now on your journey and, and where the club is now, what advice do you have for, for people who are in NJ debates today uh, and who are in debate clubs that are similar to NJ debates? Because many JCs are in very similar positions mm. uh, due, due to COVID, due to other circumstances. Like, What advice do you have for, for these debaters? I think my advice is very simple, honestly. It's just, if you can get the entire club to love debate and love coming for training sessions, then all the winning and all those auxiliary benefits will naturally come along with it. I think the focus should always be to try and ensure that everyone finds debate accessible and finds debate worth spending time on and finds a community in your debate club. And that's when everyone, that, that's how you get everyone to have the morale necessary to perform well at competitions or even be motivated to train for those competitions. So basically, like to, to summarize what I just said, right, the competitions sh- and winning at competitions shouldn't be the focus. The focus should be creating an environment that is conducive to all of these um, auxiliary benefits actually accruing. And I think that right. that was the biggest change that NJ Debate underwent that eventually led to what the club is like today, which is a club where it seems to me like everyone enjoys coming for training and will voluntarily uh, do things like shadow at HYDC even when they don't even need to be there. Like, I, I don't know if you noticed this, Dion, but like two of the NJ debaters were shadowing the, the out rounds even though they had absolutely no need to be there just because they wanted to learn from the judges then because they wanted to watch the rounds. I think that kind of thing is very heartening. And as long as you focus on making... Forging friendships and, you know, ensuring that your club is bonded, all the rest of the stuff will follow naturally. That That's my advice. So, we've joked about HYDC, we've talked about HYDC, uh, but HYDC was your first chance to organise a debate tournament um, in full. Um, you obviously did help out at in the 2019 version of HYDC, um, Hawaii Invitationals, and you did judge, I think, the... Was it the silver or the mm, grand? Silver, silver, the silver grand finals. The sil- silver grand finals. Yeah. Uh, where once again I dissented. Uh, <laughs> that tournament was a tournament of just me dissenting in every single round. <laughs> this year's audition didn't dissent once. Um, granted, two of those rounds I was a solo chair, so I I, I couldn't dissent against myself like, I was in the majority of one. But uh, <laughs> but but I'm glad to have not not uh kept that streak up this year. Congrats, uh, none. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, I heard that you descended a few times in the tournament. I descended uh, once. I dis- once? descended once. Okay, only, only once. Yes, once. Okay. And and after I descended, I was like, hmm. <laughs> maybe there was something <laughs> wrong with my, my decision. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Nonetheless, uh, uh, let, let's talk about HYDC. Um, we, we joked about how, like, you know, I was, uh, I just roped, pe- roped people in for, like, uh, who I knew. Uh, but that's actually true, right? Like, I wanted to give people who, who had, didn't have a chance to be edge core, didn't have a chance to organize tournaments, 
NG debates especially has never had a chance to organize a tournament because of the circumstances that we are in. I wanted to give that opportunity to somebody who obviously had the uh had the interest and, and deserved it, and and that's why I I thought of you, uh, first and foremost. Thank you. Tim. Um, what was what was the opportunity like though? Like, what was the experience of going through you know start to end a debate tournament? Like, what what lessons do you learn, and, and what do you learn about debate that perhaps you didn't realize when you were a competitor? I mean, I would say that I was initially quite surprised that you asked me to be on Edge Call because I didn't think that I would necessarily be able to, you know, man the ship or anything like that. And also, I, I think uh, initially I was trying to figure out how best I could help as a member of the Edge Call because, you know, at the Edge Call had Kaven, who is super experienced and has organized several tournaments before and he's just like a beast at debates, right? So you, you start to wonder how where you come in and how you can actually add value to the Edge Call Right. So, I mean, right. that took a bit of time to, to, to realise. So I tried to help out in as many ways as I could, um, given my experience or lack thereof. Uh, but right. um, I think what I learned from the tournament is, uh, okay, motion balance is something that was never really my problem before because, you know, I was the debater and in the worst case, I would just lose if emotion was, like, weighted, right? But I think being on the opposite end and having to set motions that are balanced and figure out if they are balanced is a whole different challenge altogether because they can seem balanced to you initially but then when the results come out and then you realize that everyone thought it was super weighted then you're like oh my god how come we workshop this and it still ended up being like imbalanced right um i i don't know what the remedy for that is honestly but i think it could be in part due to not being able to put ourselves in the shoes of very very young debaters who may not be able to grasp the more unintuitive aspects of a debate or of a potential case right and and that i think could contribute to the kinds of imbalances that you might see in in certain debates with certain weighted motions so i guess the first one was like learning how to evaluate whether a motion is balanced or not because i think ss participants we always like to complain why like this motion is obviously imbalanced why was it set and we, we we have that that complaint in almost every tournament um but but it is a difficult process of of finding balanced motions i think the, the round that you're talking about was the round two round about, about bonus points and i yep. think that in in hindsight for for the edge core um especially like it's it's obvious that the motion is in some ways imbalanced because of the uh just the easy alternatives that opposition can present. Mm-hmm. But but that's not something that's always immediately obvious before you, you you go through that sample size of 24 debates where you can see what how each debate plays out. Um and, and yeah, like like that's something that I think a lot of edge this is the reason why we pay edge cost a lot, right? Uh, but that's also why we expect edge cost to be able to have that experience to get through that process. But what I will say is that there is a paradox here, right? Because we expect Edge Horse to, to be able to do this, but at the same time, we often crucify Edge Horse when they, when they make mistakes, which means that you don't actually end up getting new people Edge Coring. It'll be the same people Edge Coring tournaments, people who are in their late 20s and 30s are still Edge Coring tournaments to this, to, to this day, right? Um, and the reason for this is I think we just don't have the... There, there aren't enough tournaments where you, where you get new blood on board to try an Edge Core, to try and workshop motions properly. Yeah, I'll admit that I've been guilty of like groaning and griping when motions were weighted at tournaments in the past, right? But I think that being on an edge call and realizing the difficulties of workshopping motions perfectly in advance has been quite illuminating for me. So, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I'll competitively debate anymore, but I will say that um, I have newfound appreciation for people who run tournaments and who try and cater to uh, a group of people that they 
can, may no longer be even able to relate to because it's been so long since they were that age and since they were at that stage in their debating careers. So yeah, I, I think that it's made me much more appreciative of all the older senior debaters in Singapore who've been organizing tournaments for our benefit for so many years. The second thing was that I actually learned lots of debate skills from making the judge briefings and the uh, judging workshop like videos. So the reason why is because like when you have to try and communicate these skills to young debaters, you're forced to synthesize it in a way that's easier for them to understand. And when you as an EDGECOR member are forced to articulate these skills in a manner that is different from what you're used to, it also allows you to see these skills from a different perspective. Not to mention that at this stage of our debating careers, when you're like six and seven years into debates, right, you're probably more likely to overlook the possibility that you could be making these fundamental errors. Like you just kind of assume that you're you're way past that point and you're not making fundamental errors like example dumping without explaining your analysis and things like that. But when you really get put in a position where you have to make sure that adjudicators know what to look out for and uh, and know what skills they have to credit and, and what not to credit and what not, right? Um it really helps you refine your understanding of the skills that you need to debate as well. So I, I think that it was really just a matter of seeing these debating skills in a completely different light from before, which allowed me to appreciate the nuances of competitive debating a lot better than I would have otherwise. Uh, Yeah, I I completely agree with you, right? And I think that it's a pity that not more people learn debate from that lens early on. I think it'll make for much better debate sometimes when you exit a room and you think, why did I lose when I gave such a brilliant speech, you know, as most debaters think. Mm -hmm. Like, I think when you are able to re-examine that speech from the lens of an adjudicator and figure out why half the things that you say were completely irrelevant, that would that would be very useful to any debater. Yep, yeah. Yep. Alright, so let's move on then to Mount Rushmore. Uh, this is the segment where we bring in uh, four p- people or in recent times sets of people um, that, that, that have influenced your debate journey uh, in hopefully a positive way, although I suppose it could also be in a negative way. So, go ahead. Okay. Okay, so the first one is a group of people. I, I'm sorry, Dion. I know you said four people, but this is a group of people. Oh dear, okay. Yeah, so just imagine like like one face on Mount Rushmore with like, like four... Like a, like a pick like a pick yeah. collage, right? Just yeah, yeah, like a pick collage <laughs> on the first face. Yes. <laughs> okay, so like the, the first uh, group of people would be the, the seniors that were in the NJ debate when I first joined. Uh, that would be people like Nabila, Barim, uh, Guan Peng, uh, Hillary, uh, Ray as well. But Ray is my second person, so let's just like leave him aside for now. Right. Yeah, so those seniors who were a lot older than, than my batch when we joined in Sec 1. For starters, we looked up to them so much. We idolized them and we all wanted to be like those seniors because we thought they had the biggest brains ever. And they were always working so hard to, I, I mean, for lack of a better word, dumb things down for us because we were so clueless at the time. Um, at the time, we probably couldn't appreciate it as much um, because uh, a lot. sometimes it may have felt like, you know, we were being uh, asked to put in a lot of effort for JGs and for other tournaments like that. Because uh, we did go for JGs in 2016 when we were sec But when I think about it now, I think it came from a place of genuine care and concern and like, genuine investment in our development and growth so even if you know we uh, sometimes got told off for not preparing our cases uh, in a timely fashion and 
kind of leaving it up to the seniors to fix it for us. I understand now why they did that, because they wanted us to be independent and be able to think for ourselves in the future rather than relying on them for everything, right? So I think that they were the coolest, we thought that they were the coolest people ever and it was an amazing introduction to debate. And I do think that the that introduction to debate and the people who eased us into the entire competitive debating environment were probably the biggest reason why like me, Eliora and Victoria stayed on in debate for as long as we did. So yeah, I would say that that was very fundamental to our like uniqueness as the batch who stayed on for six right. years. Yeah. So and, and, and within that group, you know, there, there were seniors that still came back afterwards to help us out. Yeah, I know like, Kwan like helped us out came so back. much. Yeah. Uh, Nabila, Nabila also came back on, on, on a few occasions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so those seniors are very instrumental to the fact that I stayed on for so long. So that's the first group. Uh, I guess we can move on to the second person, which is Ray, who I very strategically left out of the previous group. Uh, of course, Ray has the special distinction of having been both a senior at the time that I joined the NJ debate and uh, a coach who came back when I was in JH4. So when I was in Sec 1, Ray was in J2. So there's a huge gulf of difference, right? And then he came back to NJ as a coach when I was in Sec 4. Uh, I think one of the things that really stuck with me uh, in terms of his uh, contribution as a coach, right, was that um, in terms of debate skills, uh, Ray always had a way of synthesizing these foundational debate skills in a manner that made it so much easier for us to apply because one of the fundamental problems for a lot of debaters is that we know what we are doing wrong and we know what we are supposed to do in theory, but we don't actually know how to apply the theoretical knowledge that our coaches are giving us. So, so Ray had this uh, ability to you know, help us go back to the basics, fix all those fundamental problems, simplify those things for us in a way that was very easy for our small brains to understand. So yeah, that, that's something that really stuck with me. <laughs> also, when I was in Sec 1 and he was a senior, he was always like a, a huge joker. He made the debate club very lively. Very, very, very nice guy. So he was always like trying to ensure that the, the Sec 1s, right. like me, Eliora, and Victoria, felt included because we always felt a little daunted by the fact that right. we were so young. We didn't really, like, we weren't able to contribute to the intellectual discussions all the time. And he found ways to make us feel included. So yeah, and also um, a special shout out to Ray for getting me my coaching gig this year. So he was coaching Yuhua and then he asked me if I wanted to take over uh, this year. And I I initially didn't want to because I didn't think I could. I didn't think I was qualified to. But he pushed me and he encouraged me to step out of my comfort zone and give it a try. It turned out to be one of the most rewarding things I've done in the entire six years that I've debated. Um, I think coaching Yuhua was potentially more rewarding than any competition I've ever been for or any tournament I've ever won uh, despite it being a short two and a half months that? why was that like what, what was rewarding about the two and a half months that you were at Rihua like I think it just it just felt more like uh, I was actually contributing to the future of the debate circuit in Singapore in some way like you know when you see those little kids eyes like light up when they understand something that is very difficult to understand and you've explained to them a couple of times it, it's, it's very fulfilling to see that happen because you know that even if they aren't going to stay in debates, uh, they've gained some kind of transferable skill from debates. And they, that they won't, they won't actually forget this time that they had with you because it's something that will be instrumental to some of the choices that they make in secondary school as well. Like, it was very rewarding because I actually had a, uh, one of my, my students uh, say that he was going to try and DSA into certain schools with debates, right? And, and then uh, I, I got a message from Guan Peng on Telegram one day saying that he was actually interviewing my kid 
for DSA, yeah, for the DSA trials. And he said that the kid was like talking about me or something. And I mean, I I hope it this, this doesn't come off as narcissistic, but I thought it was very cute. Because like, I don't think they realize that uh, I'm just a random 19-year-old who sauntered into their primary school to coach them. But I mean, at least if it had such an impact on them and they feel like this short time that they've had preparing for wits and words is going to, you know, define their trajectory for the next four years, maybe like joining debates right. in secondary school, then it feels like I've done something valuable, something more valuable than going right. for competition for myself, right? Yeah. Uh, sorry to have a bit of whiplash, but like going back to Ray, right? Like, I I think the one thing that I admire most about Ray was um like his work ethic, um like especially as, as a coach. Like one thing that I absolutely didn't expect, um when I was when I took over NG w- w- was that my co coach would be potentially more hardworking than I was. Not because I, I, I think of myself all that highly, but just because, like, I know that I, I will put in a, a lot of effort. I've done that before in, like, Hawaii to, like, create cases, run through cases with them. But, you know, when, when we when we went to the 2018 GGs, um, Ray and I literally, like, we camped at his house um, for two of the rounds, and we were, like, working through what the potential possible cases were until, like, 2am, 3am in the morning at his place. And I remember at at, at, uh, at uh, what was the tournament? Nuspa 2019 where there was the fiasco that led to an extra prepared round being announced mm. the, the, the day before the, the the out rounds because they had some tabulation error. And like Ray and I were literally at U-Town like until 4am 5am working through the case. We had like an hour's sleep and then mm. after that, both teams lost. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but but like just the fact that we that he was willing to go through that, you know, um, for 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 you guys, um, to me, like that's a, a co coach, a word I think of a co coach that that, uh, perhaps with the exception of Buko, I don't think anybody in the circuit would, would be able to replicate, and that's something that I've I've been very grateful for mm. when he was around. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, we can move to the third name then. Okay, third name is, is David. Of course, I, I can't not mention David on Mount Rushmore, right? I mean, okay, I, I don't even know what to say other than the fact that sometimes I don't even understand David because his brain is just so big. But you know what really, really, like, I guess touches me is the fact that he has all these really big ideas, but he's always willing to sit with you and break them down for as long as is necessary until you understand these ideas. Like, I would have never learned as much as I have about Marxism and post-colonialism if I hadn't met David, right? And uh, he he's very proactive in doing things like sending readings and educational videos to the NJ debate chat because he knows that content knowledge is very important for debaters at our level, right? And um, I've left NJ debate... I've, I've been out of NJ debate for, like, a year, but I'm still in the group chat just, like, as a ghost in the background. And sometimes when he sends his right. readings, I still read the readings and I still watch the videos because I still find them applicable to uh, to my life now. And I find that I have a lot to learn from these readings. The thing is, there's anything that David has really contributed, right, is incredibly transfer- transferable knowledge that I think will always be important to me. And I, I think he-, he really encouraged this level of intellectual discussion that um, I-, I think is very rare, uh, especially for kids our age. Right. So I'm, I'm glad for that exposure. Very thankful right. that David decided to coach NJ despite being severely underpaid. The, the highest yeah. praise that I can give David is that 
I know as much about quantitative easing now as my sec two kids do, because just yesterday we had to go through like quantitative easing with them because of the LDR motion. Um, I suppose by the time this releases, the LDR round will be out already. So who, if anybody who judged my kids at the LDR round hate me for that case, I apologize. But it was all David. Um, um, <laughs> but but the most important thing is that you know I was learning as much about quantitative easing and my sectors also were learning the same thing and like we understood the exact same level of understanding and th- I think that shows how much David is able to like 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 is willing to to sit down and break down very complex topics uh, for a general audience of course you know in a debate speech that's always very difficult and impossible but I think he thrives best when he has the time to lecture or to give like a workshop on a topic and I've always learned so much from him, even uh, in those sessions. So yeah, yeah, David, amazing mm-hmm. person. Truly. Okay, so I move on right, to the, the fourth. fourth name. Okay, so the fourth person yeah. is someone you know very well, Dion. Oh dear. <laughs> anyway, for the anyone who's listening to this podcast right now, I'm not saying this just because Dion's the host of the podcast. Yeah. But funnily fourth... enough, funnily enough. Okay, you go first. You go no, no, it's okay. Yeah. You go first. You go first. Funnily enough, right across uh across. Nine episodes, correct. No one has ever mentioned this name before, which is which is fantastic <laughs> for me. <laughs> I didn't have to go through this process. <laughs> well, too bad, Dion. You're gonna have to sit here and listen to some praise because uh, the fourth name is none other than Dion Q, the host of the third sub. Hey yes, um, okay. Uh, in case it's uh, taken ten episodes, but finally, <laughs> you know this this ego trip is over. Like, I finally got my name on Mount Rushmore. We can shut it all down now. This was my goal all along, you know, from 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 episode eleven <laughs> onwards. Like waiting for my name to come out. Finally, it has taken me getting an ex student on the show, but I've uh, I've done it. I've done it. We can, <laughs> we can end the show now. Okay. But, yeah, um, no need, no okay, need season three. I'll, 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 <laughs> yeah, no need season yeah. three already. Um, but okay, I'll let you say your piece here. Mm, okay, so for anyone who's listening who isn't aware of this, Dion has is the coach that has stayed on in NJ for the longest. So he is my longest running coach as well. Uh, he coached me for a solid like okay. He co- he was in tw- there in twenty eighteen. He was around in twenty nineteen, and he was around in twenty twenty. So basically, half of my debating career has been spent with Dion. So inevitably, he would end up on my Mount Rushmore. But of course, there are specific reasons, right? It's not just because he happened to be around for two years, okay? <laughs> okay, so the first thing I need to say is that, uh, and this is just the, the very dry, boring part, right? Is that I didn't even know you could craft skills lessons in the way that Dion does until he did it in 2018 and 2019. And I was introduced to this whole new world of like how you can teach debaters these skills. Because something that still sticks with me to this day is uh, the lesson on winning characterization battles. And the, the thing about that, right, is that it was never even a question I thought to ask. I never even thought to ask, hey, how do I get out of a characterization battle or a deadlock? But then we had a comprehensive lesson on that, and then it felt so much easier to apply, and it led to better debates as a whole. And those kinds of foundational skills really improved the quality of debates that we were entering and participating in, which helped us improve so much as debaters. So, I mean, in, in terms of, like, lesson structure and how Dion taught us all these things, I'm incredibly grateful because he had some very, very creative and very interesting ways of teaching us these things. The second thing is that Dion cares a lot as a coach. So everyone thinks that Dion's big, scary dino fossil, I don't know. Someone on a previous episode called him a fossil. I can't remember who it was. But yeah. Many people have called, uh, many people have called you a fossil. Yeah. yeah, everyone thinks that Dion is very scary, right? But he's not. He's actually really nice. 
I used to be scared of Dion. In 2018, I was terrified of Dion. But then after that, I, I stopped being scared of Dion. It became more of an issue of, um, how do I make sure that Dion is proud of the performance that all of us put up at debate tournaments? Rather than, how do I make sure that Dion doesn't scold me? <laughs> you get that that trans that transition was was was, was very nice because after that, like our motivation to debate just like skyrocketed. Right? But uh, this is particular incident that I want to bring up, which was um MIDC state finals, um. Basically, we did really badly at the plate finals, and then uh, Dion and Ray were super disappointed. We got a massive scolding, uh, like down the stairs at ACJC, and I remember that on that day itself and the day after, like I was super sad that my teammates were super sad. But when I look back on it now, and like when I have looked back on it in the past, I realized that I I don't think that a coach that didn't care would have bothered to do this at all, right? Like. Nobody actually bothers to shout at you and scold you when they don't think that you're reaching your potential if they don't actually care about you growing as a debater and as a person. So I'm actually, okay, so ironically, I look I look back on that scolding very fondly because I think that... <laughs> yes. <laughs> you feel that Hawaii kids look back on your scolding very fondly. Yes, I, I do look back on it very, very fondly because I, I just think, oh man, Dion cared enough to actually scold us and to actually... Even even through that uh, anger and disappointment that he had, give us feedback because he knew that we needed to improve in the future and that that was his job as our coach. So, I mean, Dion is very inspirational as a person as well. Because I think to most people in the debate circuit, right? Like, I, I think you would all acknowledge what Dion has managed to do for Hawaii as a debate club. I've been over to, to help coach them a couple of times as well because Dion has invited me. I think I get all of my opportunities through Dion now. So like, thanks. <laughs> I'm your Asian. I'm your yeah, Asian. Yeah. Yes. Dion's my Asian. <laughs> yeah, but I've been over to coach them a couple of times. And the club culture at Hawaii is amazing. They they seem like they love coming for debate trading. They have resources that Dion has dipped into his own pockets to give them. Uh, he stretches himself so thin. Uh, he gives them free tuition after training. I, I Last I remember, he was doing that for his Hawaii kids. And he's helping them with like, JC like DSA applications and everything as well. Because I think that um Dion is like like a big face on Mount Rushmore because he is just very inspiring as a coach and a person and he has been very instrumental to my last three years of debating. So yes, thank you, Dion. I'll put you out of your misery now. And stop yes, thank talking. you very much. The, the, <laughs> I, I hate it when people praise me. <laughs> hey, I love Dion. Um, but yes, um, yeah. But but thank you, thank you very much for yeah. that. I I, I, there's nothing to add because I can't <laughs> add things about myself. Um, but thank you very much. Um, it, it's, I'm deeply appreciative oh, of that. One extra thing to add. I think that... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Dion's yeah. coaching philosophy throughout the time that you coached NJ influenced my, my coaching philosophy with Yuhua Primary as well. Uh, as did Ray and David's uh, coaching philosophies as well. Because I think that um, without that inspiration from them, I probably wouldn't have, you know, focused so much on... Uh, getting the, the Yuhua kids to come up with their own cases and be independent uh, as I would have if uh, otherwise, right? Like, because the, the tendency in wits and words and other competitions like that is that you just write cases for debaters and you just let them go and do a public speaking kind of thing, practice for their PSLE oral or something. But like, I think that drawing on their coaching philosophies is what really, really made the Yuhua experience so rewarding, both for me and for the students who are at Yuhua. Yes. That's all I had to add. Don't worry, Dion. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, let's move on then to the the, the last segment. A uh, quick fire question: favorite debate motion, least favorite motion, go. 
Okay, favourite debate motion, anything social justice and specifically the, the motion about this house prefers a world where individuals are content with mediocrity. That one's a fun motion, I love that. Yeah, least favourite motion. Why, why, was it, why was it a fun motion for you? Oh, I remember it was very fun for me because it was the first time I was able to apply David's big concept of like false consciousness. How we all buy into this false consciousness that makes us feel like we're making free choices, but... In actual fact, all these choices are informed by social conditioning and the things we've been led to believe as we've grown up. So I remember that was very fun and memorable for me because I finally figured out how to make that motion rewarding due to the lessons I'd learned. Um, least favourite motion, I can't think of anything specific, just anything that's econs and business related. Honestly, it, it might be the, the HYDC Grand Finals motion. <laughs> <laughs> just because of the trauma. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> yes, anything econ. That was a motion. Oh that was definitely that was a motion. motion. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but anything econs and business is a big no for me. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Uh, Suniti, you're headed off to I think Oxford Law yep. in a couple of weeks' time. Yep. Uh, good luck. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> we are all rooting for you to come back and and uh, improve uh the, the legal system uh, for the better here in Singapore. Uh. I I'm I for one am very much looking forward where you to see where you will end up. Uh, you're somebody who I I deeply admire, right? As a as a, a for their, their work ethic, for their ability, their humor, everything. Uh, and as much as I think is is sad that you're you're leaving debate potentially, I also think that it's great that you're moving on to to what is hopefully a, a very interesting next next uh, part of your life. Mm. So, yeah, thanks very much for for being on the program. And uh, I guess I will see you when I see you. We still have to get a drink before yeah, you go. Yeah, and I'll probably... You, I... Don't worry, I'll probably end up hoboing at Hawaii and NJ over the next few years anyways. So this is not <laughs> the last of me that you're going to see. Oh dear. Oh dear.